From man's sweat and God's love, beer came into the world. Amen. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast, strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, what's up? Not much. Uh, I think I'm just, like, destined to not have my soccer team win, like, rivalry games this year. Like, I mean, I guess United did beat City um, this last time that they played, but it's it just must be, like, the first of the year. There's just something crazy that happens the first time they're going to play each other where we're doing fairly good, and then we're just going to have something crazy happen. The Seattle Sounders got were up 1-0 all the way up into the 70, like, fifth minute, and then... Uh, the Portland Timbers decided to score four goals in the span of like eight minutes. Wow. Yeah. So for those of you that follow soccer at all, you know that that never happens. Like, uh, unless the defense just shuts down and doesn't play. So that was kind of upsetting. So the Sounders lost four to one on in just, yeah. And I was like watching and just traumatized. I was like, we were going to get three points. Like, golly. <laughs> Uh, so that was tough. Um, and if you watch like the Portland Timbers did not play a good game at all. Like it was like, how, how did this happen? <laughs> uh, so that was upsetting, but it's also MLS. So anything can happen in MLS. So, uh, but yeah, just trying to recover from that. That's why I'm drinking beer. How are you, Tim? Uh, not bad. It's allergy season on steroids right now. Yeah. Our monsoon winter has left us with uh, unbelievable pollen right now so if i sound even more nasally than usual i apologize dear listener but yeah it's not it's e- not as bad i used to get really bad allergies and i get allergy shots i've gone off the allergy shots because uh, you only need to take them for a couple years but i think if it's going to be like this i'm going to go back and start getting them again so it's not been as bad as i've had it there were before I got treated for allergies, I would have nights where I couldn't sleep because I was so stuffed up. And so uh, when I am sitting in a bed stuffed up, I tend to get claustrophobic and just I have to get up out of the bed. I can't can't do it. I'd rather just sit in a chair and sleep with the television on than lie, lie in a bed. There's something about it. But I'm powering through it. So, yeah. And not only do we have like an increase in pollen this year, but. Uh, the wind has hung out for a lot longer than it has in recent years where it's where usually in California you have like a two to three week gap where you've got this nice like where the pressure change happens where the Alaskan low gets taken over by the Hawaiian high and vice versa where in a usually on bookend parts of the year in between spring and there's this wind change that happens with the pressure change but the wind has stuck around like even tonight it was super windy yeah i got winds like there's the day we're on so i hear this the same way in southern california the allergies are real season is really bad there and so cal too so again uh we needed the rain but man it's brought out the pollen with a vengeance so but other than that things are going well it is wedding week in the Curly household, the youngest is getting married on Saturday. He's here at the table. He will. He's listening in on the podcast. But yeah, Jeff's here from Oklahoma. We're having a wedding ceremony on Saturday, so it's uh, a little bit hectic as hectic as well. Things are always hectic when you're putting on a wedding, and then they just all kind of fall into place. Yeah, and unless you know family members make asses of themselves even when things don't fall into place no one really remembers it's usually pretty lovely lovely time so we'll have a good night nice saturday saturday afternoon evening into the night in uh, visalia and then um so that's what's going on and then you and i had a wonderful sunday yeah we did and that brings us to our beer of the week Beer of the Week is Machine Head Brewing Company out of Clovis. It That's is a 
for those of you that uh, don't know Clovis, it's the place that you need your passport at to get from Fresno to Clovis um, to get in to. Um, you're also not allowed to be there after 8 o'clock at night or else they kick you out. Um, Clovis, California, it's a great place. It has a reputation, uh, not like a bad one. Uh, no, it's just it's it has earned its rightfully. I mean, rightfully not because the, they're correct. It's just they've gone out of their way to make it clear they are not Fresno. That's right. Just like and they're they're they're, they're Malibu. They're adamant <laughs> about saying that. Uh, yeah, they're the Malibu of Central Valley. So that's right. Uh, but we so Machine Head had liked one of the podcasts episodes early on once we started publishing and we'd never heard of them and reached out to them and i still don't know if they actually listen or not but they were kind enough because we post beer of the week that they had liked the podcast and had nice things to say so we had been meaning to get up there and we finally went up on sunday with our wives and it was a really nice time enjoyed it very much if they were closer than an hour away it would be trouble <laughs> i'd be there every week 100 i think we said that we were like i was like i would go there every friday i'd have no problem they had a nice indoor area of the tap room uh when the weather's <laughs> inclement or it's just overflow and then they had a lot of outdoor seating uh you could bring in food and we stayed there whew, three almost four hours mm-hmm. and Sipped on a couple beers, had some nice conversation, ate lunch, and uh, I can see that becoming a regular thing every six to eight weeks. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we're drinking tonight the Danklands Hazy IPA from there. Um, it's a featuring a Nelson, uh, Savin, and Galaxy Hops uh, with Phantasm. So coming in at a 7.3%. It's really tasty. It's got a good, good mouthfeel, good palate. You I'm know. actually enjoying this more tonight than they done on Sunday. I think I would too. I don't know why. I don't know if it's we just got a different batch out of that. Maybe we started. Keg, I was like, was we started food with we were eating or the beer first week. We yeah, first I was like, had. we started with a West Coast to start, and then maybe it was just a different. I think palette. it brought out more of a, a bitter uh, flavor profile out of the hazy. Yeah, this, tonight's is more juicy, like you would expect out of a hazy. Yeah, and it was. Uh... But again, that's just me. Picking out um, different flavor profiles. It's not me being picky or saying what we had on Sunday. If if it was if it wasn't tasty on Sunday, I wouldn't have bought a four pack and brought it home. So. All right, and also got a. I was like, we had a Hefenweizen on. We had a, uh, you had a Hefenweizen, which I tried. It was phenomenal. Yeah, it was tasty. Uh, and if you're listening to this and you like Hefenweizens, you can actually have most Hefenweizens you buy are trash. You shouldn't have to add fruit to it. This one was. Properly done. There didn't require an orange or a lemon to oh, be added. That was really good. Uh, and then I had a Kolsch, which is like a crisp, light beer, perfect for this time of year. Uh, this one was a little fruity on the back, but it was also both were all their beers we had were phenomenal. My wife had a sour. If you like sours, which I do, it was great. If we'd stayed there longer, I probably would have tried one of their sours as well. But uh, so, really nice place. Tucked in the middle of nowhere, uh, we stopped at a liquor store beforehand to procure some liquor for the wedding this weekend, and uh, they had some machine machine head there as well. And yeah. then they had they had moonlight, which we've pr- talked about on a couple episodes before, because uh, they're one of our new favorite breweries up in Santa Rosa. So, yeah. Good beers, good friends, good times. If you're ever in Clovis, highly recommend you check out Machine Head. All right, any cleanup or hot topic? Mm. We could do the hot topic real quick about uh, the what was it Time article, Time Magazine article about Christian. Is Christianity really? Oh, it was Dropping. a it was a CNN article. CNN yeah. article. There's a CNN article about uh whether or not is Christianity really ending, and what they're finding is is that more and more research is uh, showing that it's not. Um, there, and which is funny because uh, Tim said it on this podcast before, and it's true. Like if you look at the 
you look at the trends, you can see the pendulum swing is that there's been this huge push about millennials. Millennials are never in church, blah, 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 blah. There's no, like, people are leaving the church. And, and so people thought that the churches were going to die out. But if you're looking at the trends, you could possibly, what they were suggesting is that you will see a swing back and it's going to come back with a vengeance. Now, the thing that's always important is that it's not going to look the way that it looked before. Um, no. So it's not. So if you're expecting like the big revival and there's going to be and we don't know, it could be a return to to basics. And uh, this is something that there may be a huge outcry and a need that gets addressed through something like Calvinism or something. And all of a sudden there's this huge Calvinistic uh, widespread change that comes across the United States that's possible. Um, but it's going to be something that most people that are uh, wanting people in church, it may not be exactly what you want from them um, at the time. But it there is speculation that there is a big change coming um, to the church and it's going to alter the way things go i would i would hope just based off of what would be healthiest but that's not always what happens is that the the house church movement really um or the home church movement really takes over um i know that it's really nice to see the flashy lights and the cool stuff on sunday mornings um, but I really think that church was meant to be done in a home based where you are able to have a conversation with the person that's speaking rather than just have them talk to you for an hour. Um, if you'd like that model, I highly recommend taking classes and going to a lecture hall. Um, but I just think that for, for a lot of people, for their faith, it needs to be a lot more personal. Um, which I mean, like for a lot of people, they get it from their small groups, but so many people are afraid to join small groups. Um, so... I'm looking for a gastropub church movement. That that would be awesome. I mean, that's where my home church <laughs> takes will take place at. That's where ours kind of already does. <laughs> that's at least right. in a pub in a in the tap room. Uh, yeah, a couple things from the article. They specifically cite the fact that we've had such an influx of uh, Latin immigrants that are still more devoutly Catholic coming to the United States. That's probably gonna stop some of the ebb um, away from Christianity. I would also point out probably a good number of the uh, Africans that are coming in are some sort of Christianity. And they, so uh, what's interesting is we live in, you've probably heard us say we live in Tulare, California in Visalia, which is next door, the big sister to Tulare, they have just opened the largest cathedral west of the Mississippi, Catholic Church Cathedral. It is massive. And Tulare is, I think they just opened theirs up within the last couple weeks. And I have heard, but I've not confirmed this, that Tulare's is the second largest on uh, west of the Mississippi. They are both built in classic uh cross-shaped cathedral uh, architecture and so why do i bring that up because i think it does man it it's suggests the amount of his uh catholic hispanics that we've had move into our area legally yeah. or illegal it doesn't matter they've been been moving into our area uh and that is particularly the case in Tulare because we have two churches in Tulare and one is for the Portuguese and whatever Dutch Catholic Catholics there are and the other one is predominantly Mexicans and other people south of Mexico and the one that is not Portuguese is the one that is vastly expanded so I think you're seeing a lot of the influx of people coming in has added to the church now as, as Colton said that might mean the church in the, the United States, whatever dominant form of Christianity is more of a, I would say, liberal, more liberal version of Catholicism. All right, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, and then Protestantism will probably be the one that's got to completely remake itself. Right. Um, outside of the South. I think that the South is still so traditional, traditionally Christian uh, which is my big problem with most of these statistics when they write these articles. they You start with the baseline that America was this huge Christian country. I just don't accept that. That, that is, you're accepting 
statistics of people who are claiming they are, I'm sorry, the country is not 70% made up of true Bible-believing, Jesus-believing followers. These are people who identify as Christians. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not condemning them for identifying that way, but this isn't, this isn't to mean that America uh, until about 20 years ago was this Xanadu of about of a majority of people actually following Jesus week to week, day to day in their lives. So this was it that we have gone away from being a country that identified as Christians, which is something different. Now it still means something sociologically. It's still something important, interesting. Uh, One of the thing that I noticed was they talk about how the church is growing outside of the United States. Well, outside of Western, the Western, uh, outside of the Anglosphere and Europe, the church is growing. So Asia, Africa, South America, the church is growing. And they cite a the largest, the world's largest church in uh, South Korea to justify that. Uh, whoever wrote this article, I hate to break it to you, but that church, South Korea has had the largest church in the world for like 70 years. So for whatever reason, uh, Korea really took to Presbyterianism. It has been very Presbyterian for quite a long time. And they've had a church that's got had like 20, 30,000 people, like 10 services over two days for, like I said, since at least the 70s, because my parents visited that church in the early 80s so little factoid it's not doesn't totally blow up the argument the argument is still true the church is growing in the southern hemisphere predominantly but also in parts of asia but south korea has been protestant uh, south korea has been uh christianized for a long long time and they're very devout devout about it those that are christians and the koreans that are uh believers so yeah. All right. I don't have any cleanup. I don't have anything either. So, book three, Mere Christianity. This book is now for, this net book is now laying out what it means to be a Christian, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Right, so you had the first book, which is just as a recap. Uh, first book is talking about what it, is there something out there? Second book is if you believe that something is out there, then these are your options. And then the third one is if you say that this is what you are, then let's get you aligned, basically. Correct. If you're listening to this and you're either a new Christian or you've been a Christian your entire life, you're 20 years old, you've been a Christian, you've grown up in the church, you're 30 years old, you've grown into church, and you are asking yourself, I still am not quite sure what it means to be a believer because I'm told it's all about faith, but then I'm told it's about actions, all of that kind of stuff. This is a book for you, I think. Yeah, book three. Book three, uh, Lewis as a new Christian, but I think someone who listened probably ad nauseum, Tolkien and his other friends that we've talked about, go on and on about Christianity and then being a reader, someone who's inquisitive, diving into what Christianity is really distills in a very simple form. Look, here's sift out all the stuff. This is what it means to be a believer. Right. And he's going to, and the way that he does it is uh, he uses, he talks about still like these ideas of what you're believing, but again, getting down to the very nitty gritty that, that, Again, the first couple of books or the first couple of chapters is he's talking about this moral, this moral issue um, that you should be struggling with um, and how it's different and how our response is different um, in these first couple of books because he's he's breaking it down to that basic level. What he's been doing the entire time is, again, trying to establish that sense of logic with the reader for you to be able to sit there and be like, okay, this makes sense. Um, right. So it's not just, and actually, what you're what you're doing through this is not just this blind faith, where what churches have asked you for a long time to do, which is fine. That's it's not untrue that churches have sat there and said we need you to believe in this guy Jesus Christ, and that's it. Um, and really, that's something that's not that simple. You can't just simply sit there and for a lot of people, you're like, 
Some people are like, yes. Some people are like, no, that sounds dumb. Why would I ever believe that? Um, and so he's really trying to break that down into um, a concise uh, thing for you to be able to read and understand. So, Do you remember what year this was published? Uh, no, I don't. I All right. It, the, what's it? it was published mid-50s. Let's just say mid-century. Yeah, I believe Somewhere between late late 40s, mid 50s. So understand that when we're talking about this, and I want to lay this out because it occurred to me today when I was writing down my notes and rereading this chapter. It is remarkable. A lot of books that were written 10 years ago, 20 years ago, let alone 50, 70, 100 years ago, are way outdated. And it is remarkable how this book is very much not outdated and is perfect for today. Right. And it is probably arguably has been uh, perfect for every decade since it's been written. But uh, if you're skeptical that a book written by a guy in the 1950s who's already middle-aged and not married and blah, 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 has anything to speak to you, it is very relevant to what you're going through, what Christianity is going through right now, what the what our culture in general is dealing with right now, it hits home in a way that's really striking still and very relevant. So, again, this book is essential if you're a Christian to read and reread probably every couple years to just refresh yourself and, and make your journey simple because that's what he's doing here. He's trying to make it as so it's... It's as thoughtful. It's not cheap grace. It's not a cheap faith, but it's also a simplified and not trying to make it more complicated than it needs to be right. all at it the same is. time. That's why I think the title is so great. It's Mere Christianity. It is the basics of what it is and what it means to be a Christian. Okay, so first chapter, he's dealing with just general morality, Christian morality versus the world's morality. Uh, yes. First thing he hits at is ideals and idealism are not helpful. Uh, what does he mean by that? It's basically, well, I try to be a good person. I try to do the right thing, but I don't always I don't always uh, do that. And he says that is not a standard we should be living by. Right. And if you are listening to that thing, well, that, is, that seems a little harsh. Just think about any <laughs> any. Public figure that you can think of who's cheated on their wife or done whatever and then stood up there and said, well, we're all sinners. And you're like, well, duh, I know that. What is That doesn't mean what you did was perfectly fine. That's basically what he's saying. No, that's we don't go around just going like, well, I try to be, but I'm, but I'm not. And so it's an excuse. Right. He says we have, to, we have to live by a standard of rules and we have to try to obey by those rules. So what are those rules? Yep. Uh, then he attacks, then he says, the other thing basically is if you're not a believer, you're probably not even religious. It's just, my rule is I go around not hurting other people. And that's a, the definition of a good person. Um, now this is one of those, his argument to this is one of those things you either believe or you don't, if you don't believe in that, the, that there's a God, you're not going to accept his argument. But his argument basically, his argument is no, there's a God who created you. Uh, he's the one who decides what is good for you and what isn't. And yeah. so you also have to live up to that God and what he decides is good for you as the person, as the creature he created. Yeah. And he breaks down morality into three categories that everyone should agree on that exist, but don't necessarily agree to. Those Categories are relations between man and man, uh, what is going on inside each person. And let me wait, let me stop there. When I let me just stipulate female listeners, uh, Lewis is a classical writer, he's a classical thinker, so he writes in a classical way of using man as a general sense of, sense of humanity, etc. I have adopted his way of when I'm taking notes and all that. So please, ex when I say man, I'm saying mankind, don't be offended by it. It's just a, it's just shorthand for everybody. Okay. Sure. Let's just stipulate that. 
there's morality inside each person. And then there's relations. Uh, there's the morality between us and the people and the God that made us. Those are the three categories. Right. And so like when you have this situation with like the man to man, again, what he's saying is that there is an there is the speculation that this is how we act, but it's not agreed to. Like you're not sitting there thinking like you don't sit there and make an agreement and say, hey, I'm not going to screw you over. Right. Um, every single time that you meet a new person. Um, it is expected of you to treat that person with kindness and respect. Um, and then usually people are like, well, until they treat me badly. But why is it that that is the initial response uh, that you give that person? Why is that there? Um, because, again, it's not something that's been agreed to. Right. Um, so to speak. Um, our second one is what was the second one again? Uh the morality in the the internal morality what's going on in our spirit right and again this is something that we talked about uh in the previous chapters where there's this kind of sense that we all have um that something uh that we are called towards this good um peace um and so that is something that's internal and then also we have this morality to uh serve and do um things for um, this guy who created us, um, which is number three, correct? Correct. Okay. And just to be clear, he doesn't go out his way to say it because it doesn't need to. He's blitzing through this. But uh, number two is something that's real, particularly a Christian and Christian-only belief, that, that, that the things that are going on in my head, in my heart, in my conscience, I am also judged for because we know this because the Pharisees called Jesus out and Jesus said, no, whoa, 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 whoa. If, even if you look at another woman and lust at her, that's still the same. God still judges that as if you were going to actually sleep with her. Because that was not really, a, that was not a Jewish belief. Jewish, the, the Judaism believes in outward things. We're judged by what we do, by, by the things we actually do, not the things we think. I believe that's the same thing in Islam. So Christianity is... Uh, unique to that of no you're also judged by what's bumping around inside your head right yeah and also those those particular um verses whenever you look at those because some people can take those to extremes because um you know uh because i mean jesus took it to some extremes right um no you've never murdered anyone but if you've ever harbored hate against your neighbor in your heart um then he puts it at the same level as murder um he puts uh lustfulness um on the same level as adultery on um, those types of things which is not uh which again i'm not taking away from what jesus said and i'm like that's not true um but more of understanding that jesus is sitting there recognizing that the what he is after is a condition of the heart um where when we sit there and we have those thoughts and we have those frustrations, it has always been the mission of Jesus that I'm coming after, that this is a big picture thing. We sit there and we focus on those actions in the early stages, um, but understand that really what I'm coming for is a condition of your heart and your soul, because that's the important part. Because that determines your actions. So you're okay. So yes, that's great that you haven't done this. But really what it is, is you should be thinking of nothing but love and care for your neighbor. Um, as opposed to harboring these ill, terrible things um, in your heart. So. He was also specifically pointing those out in order to deal with pride. And we will get to pride later. Yeah. Because that is an important uh, thing that Lewis talks about. Okay, so then we go on to cardinal behaviors <laughs> or the seven virtues. So he calls he calls four things the four cardinal virtues. They and he says they're pivotal. There's prudent. He's going to use words that we don't really use in our everyday language. Uh, I don't. So, but we will explain what those words are. Uh, as we go through them, but so they're a little archaic, archaic, no, anachronistic, sorry. They're a, a bit anachronistic, the words he uses, but they are prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. 
So prudence is basically practical common sense. It, and he describes it as having a heart of a child, but the intelligence of an adult. Yes. Temperance is this one. He points out uh, temperance is not abstaining from things like alcohol or some other things that people might find in Christian circles taboo or things you're just not supposed to, you know, dancing was one with the Pentecostal church and a lot of people in the fifties was dancing was one. It's not abstaining from things. Although he says it's fine. If you choose not to abstain, just don't go around telling everybody else they should abstain. That's he is very adamant about that. If you want to abstain, that's fine, but it's none of your business to tell every, everybody else to abstain. Timberts is not overindulging in those things. And he also makes a very good distinction of saying, I'm not just talking about alcohol. I'm talking about playing golf too much. I'm talking about uh, shopping too much. I'm talking, he lists these, you know, things that could be, you know, not all that big a deal to to a lot of people if you're a man or a woman. And he's like, no, those can be just as uh, intemperate as drinking, getting drunk too much on a weekend. Yeah, the term that I like to use for uh, what he's using for temperance is self-restraint. I think that what he is talking about is you need to be able to... He uses the word overindulgence, which also works, but yeah, self, right. self-restraint. Is just, yeah, there's no need to become overindulgent. It is to sh- there is a desire to show self-restraint. Um, he also says too much devotion to something. Yes. And I think that's kind of gets to the heart of it. You're all right. You're now starting to, it's becoming a false God in a way. Yes. And that's where you need to sit there and say, is this something that I enjoy doing? Or is this something that, um, is taking over, um, my life or hindering certain aspects and those types of things? I mean, um, we haven't really talked about addiction on here or anything like that. Um, but just, Understanding that those things that consume your life, uh, too much of a good thing can lead to lots of problems. So, um, you know, uh, and again, that's that's worth talking about in some other facets. But I think right now, just hitting it as this is this idea of restraining oneself from overindulging. Okay, so he's done prudence, temperance. Again, these are the four cardinal virtues. Uh, then the next one is justice, which he defines as fairness, honesty, and keeping promises. That one's fair. Uh, most Americans are familiar yeah. with the term of justice. Uh, yeah, I mean, if anything, we've become too obsessed with it, if, if that's even possible. But one could argue that we're almost like overly obsessed with it. But yes. And Some then, would say that we don't practice temperance with uh, justice. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then fortitude, which he calls courage that faces danger. He says it's like having guts. Um, it's doing what might, might be helpful in a difficult situation. Yes, and these these four characteristics, I think everybody's – I don't know if everybody's familiar with fortitude, but I think that what Tim said is plenty good enough of just understanding that for most people that are Christians, you know that you are called to some sort of fortitude. Um, whether American Christians have to show much fortitude is not really there. <laughs> I'm sorry to those of you that feel persecuted um, in the United States because you had to like take off your – like because or because what's the one that I can actually use? Uh, oh, because your children aren't allowed to talk, or because your children have to learn about evolution in the biology books or whatever. Like that's not people coming after your religion, like and persecuting you for wanting to treat to teach creationism in school. That's not what that is. Okay, um, fortitude is about understanding that in adversity, and there are different levels of adversity that you will face as Americans in the United States. But we also have some listeners that are outside of the United States, as we've learned. Yeah. Um, and so fortitude comes in different ways, shapes and forms. Um, and really, but I feel like most people that are associated with the fate and know that that is something that they are being asked to do, right? The, the scriptures about uh, taking up one's cross, um, you know, and acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and really understanding what that means. Um, is extremely important, and that's something that's highly valued in the church. We do value, um, the church does value all four of those cardinal 
um, uh, what is the term that we're using for those uh, cardinal cardinal behaviors, behaviors or the and then the, or virtues? Yes, so those <laughs> ones are great for them to have. Uh, then he goes on after laying these out. He stipulates one. Doing the right things for the wrong reasons don't count. You have to have the right reasons and do the right thing. Right. Uh, which is actually a big deal, particularly with when it comes in the United States and public figures. We find public figures all the time doing the right things for the wrong reasons or things we suspect are for the wrong reasons. So, um, you know, it's something to keep in mind. Uh, number two, God wants more than just rule followers. So we're not doing this just because we're told to follow these rules and I got to be a good little soldier and follow these rules. Yeah. It's it's a way of life that we're embracing. We understand why we need to do it. Um, and that these virtues are in heaven. These are the virtues that we're going to see in heaven. Um, but he also points out Look, for you to be a Christian, you don't have to be strong in all these. If you're weak in all, all in every single one of these, he says, that's fine. You're still a Christian as long as you're weak and growing in them. Yes. Again, and this is something that Tim and I have talked about where it's really Christianity. Uh, I think a lot of people view it and especially when you see a word like justice on there and it because i'm from the educational world the term that we often associate with christianity is i mean it's very similar to pass or fail you either pass or you fail that's what makes you a christian you either are doing everything that you need to do and therefore you are passing or you are not doing everything that you need to do and you are failing and i'm sorry that the United States educational system has taught you to incorporate that into your Christianity. Um, I think it was there before that, but still it's something that you should not associate with Christianity. Christianity is about making strides and growing as much as you possibly can in however microscopic increments that may be. Um, if you only move five inches, but somebody else moves 200 yards, we should, shall still celebrate just as loudly in heaven your five inches that you, because, you know, yeah. that's that's pretty big, right, Jeff? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, we will celebrate it just as much as somebody going 200 yards. Um, it is extremely important to recognize that and that that is how the faith works um because again there's uh and that's really hard actually for the people that are going 200 yards is because we want these things we want these treasures in heaven we want to be acknowledged for the hard work that we've done um and it's very hard to sit there and understand that what jesus has given is believe it or not very communist where he has given out his love to all people and all people have a right to it um, no matter what. And that's the hard part is what we sit there and want from Jesus is something more like the money, but understanding that what Jesus love is, is almost like an undeniable right that we have been born with. You need to view Jesus's love in the same way that the freedom of speech is in this country where we believe that we're supposed to have it no matter what and there's no limitations on it or whatever which we're still finding that yes there are limitations on free speech but uh that is something that you should be viewing Jesus's love as is not something that is um monetary um and that kind of thing. So that's that's what's important when it comes to understanding uh, what you were saying about you don't have to be advanced in all of these. You can have these. These are not – you don't have to be good at any of these things as long as you are growing. That's right. the important part. To cycle back to what you were saying. Okay. So now we start getting into some nitty-gritty. This is where he gets – He's going to start pointing out, he's going to, he's going to now detail what the Christian life looks like. 
And there's going to be some interesting things in here. Again, if you're listening to this, don't just do this like as an audio Cliff Notes version of, oh, I, yeah, I read Mere Christianity. We're skipping over stuff because I, you know, we can't, the, the book we're doing tonight is like a hundred pages. So there, there's going to be some stuff that we skip. Uh, so please do read it if you're. If you're uh, animated by this. So, first one, social morality. Yes. He, right off the bat, social morality. Basically, golden rule sums it up. Do yeah. unto others as you want done to you. Pretty simple. Easy peasy. Uh, but then he goes on and he points out something interesting. He Because I think he's anticipating. All right, well, what is that? But give me some ideas. What does that mean? And he says, Christianity doesn't lay out really what that means. It's the only religion that does it, you know. Judaism's got two very long books that list all these things you're supposed to do when people do this and people do that and how to do this and how to do that. Islam has the same very detailed thing. You know, what do you do when this person does this? And all. he says, Christianity didn't have any of that. It's basically a loose set of rules that apply to the situation. Yeah. There's no handbook like, Go to section 3.8.3 on how to deal with when uh, some, when your kid lies to you and you know they're lying to. It's like, I, all right, yeah, I just got to figure this out. Yeah, but that's how Christians often treat it. Is that they're like these rules are the set guidelines? For oh, they're yes. To respond. So I got to sit there and see how did David respond to this situation? And so therefore I. Uh... So therefore, yes, we look, this is, <laughs> this goes back to an eternal thing. That's is yes, that's great. I'm gra- glad you brought this up. <laughs> yes. This gets back to our problem with the Bible is we use it as a field manual on how to be a Christian. And it's the hitchhiker's guide to uh, <laughs> the galaxy. It's the Marine, the Marine, uh, Infantry field manual. Stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. The um, what is that thing? War fighting. War fighting. So, what do I do in this situation? No, mm-hmm. you've got to. This is where having the things that were just talked about before: temperance, prudence, courage. So, yeah, the Bible's not a field manual for how to. I mean, look, there's some stuff in there. If you find comfort in some, you know. The Bible is really just to to let you know other people have struggled with different things that you've struggled with, but they've struggled with them and God has been with them and helped them through it. But I don't know that if you're running a church in the 21st century that reading up on how uh, Peter or one of the churches handled the situation in uh, Acts or one of the letters yeah. is, is all that helpful. Yeah. Okay, so now he really starts getting into some, like, practical, what does that mean for today, being a Christian, going through life? And I will, again, I'll say this book's written mid-century, mid-20th century, but it is still pertinent to today. A lot of these things he's bringing up have not gone away as discussions within the church or within society even at large outside of the church so first thing he says is it's perfectly fine for christians to be leaders but we don't need the church being leaders of society yeah and he goes into detail why that's a problem everything from well clergy don't know much about the economy you want economists in charge of the economy you want scientists in charge of science and so um it's not a good idea. Just so we're clear, that is true about every single occupation. I want people to remember that when they vote for the president of the United States. Because, and when you have bosses, just because this person knows a lot about a subject does not mean that they are good at leadership. It doesn't mean that they're Correct. good about, it doesn't mean that they are good with people. There are lots of things that we don't give two shits about when we are interviewing somebody and then a month later we're like oh damn you suck ass at this this is a really good aside as well (laughs) i will say this this is my these are my two cents the more someone is expert at something they are probably really bad leaders it's not because they lack they have poor characters because they are fixated on the thing they are 
expert in, and that is their number one priority. And being a leader means to you're having to juggle a lot of things, make a lot of decisions. Being a leader isn't being the smartest computer in the room and calculating things. It's a lot of judgment and making the lesser of the least bad of a long list of bad, shitty decisions you have options for. And so people who are experts at that don't look at the world that way. They look at the world often in black and white, and that's fine. But those are people who should be informing the leader and giving them their opinion. And then the leader saying, I hear you, and I hear you expert in this, and I hear ex- you expert in that, And but I'm going to make this decision. Right, because, I mean, like, if it was this way, you would all vote for your pastor to be the president of the United States. You'd all be like, this is the guy. Or you, if you want the economy fixed, you'd say, well, let's vote in the best economist, economist in the country right. and make him president. Great. Doesn't know how to how to fight his way out of a paper bag. So what are we going to do if we're fi- find ourselves in a war or whatever? Right. Or some social situation comes up. Like, yeah. He's going to uh, be like, well, yeah. statistics say we should do this. Blacks are most likely to do this and Hispanics this and whites. And so we're going to do this. What? And then everybody would be like, <laughs> what the f- Fuck did I just vote into office? And then he's going to say, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Uh, sorry, Joe. I'm sorry. I would have so, said about the other guys. Either. Yes. So we are not looking to vote in Christendom. Uh, number two. Then this is interesting. This is going to poke. This is going to. This is very pertinent today, even though, like I said, it's 70 years old. A New Testament society would frankly be more leftist in the economy because a leftist economy is more towards to each his needs and his abilities and not what people want. Yeah. Uh, Although he does make it clear everyone has to work in a Christian society. There are no freeloaders. Uh, if you couldn't tell, Tim is a libertarian based off of the way that he presented (laughs) that information. No, I just... And then, but also, so if you're a leftist, he then says, but unfortunately, a Christian society would also be much more socially conservative and old-fashioned. He's not really insisting that, he's not bringing that up because he's saying that's the world we should live in. He's just basically, he's pointing out to people, the things that you think you believe in aren't necessarily biblical things to believe in. Yeah, I mean, like, for example, I remember some people, and I've heard it from both sides of the aisle, um, where people have said that it is impossible to be a Christian and be on the left side of the aisle. And I've heard people say it is impossible to be a Christian and be on the right side of the aisle, Um, which is crazy because at the end of the day, you're both wrong about stuff and you're both right about stuff. Um, and actually you'll find that you guys agree on a lot more stuff than what you disagree on. Um, especially Republicans and Democrats. It's like ridiculous. I was like the party, like as far as the party, like ties and stuff, they're very similarly close together. You're not looking at extremist type stuff, which is the claim that a lot of people are making. Um, which is just crazy. But anyways, I mean, we don't need to get political. But it's just saying, like, again, it's this idea of really faith is something that's separated. Um, or the religion is something that's separated from the political. Yeah, let me mess. hit on a couple more, like, topical things he's trying to hit to kind of make the, the average Christian think. And then it says, oh, by the way, interest financing <laughs> it was like out of nowhere he's just like oh by the way interest financing was frowned upon not allowed by the Greeks the Jews and uh, Christianity all the way up until the Middle Ages so might not this thing that we now rely on for our modern economy might not that be that great of an idea well the Jews took it over um, because I've read The Merchant of Venice and he definitely had interest <laughs> um, a pound of flesh um then he says the reason why everyone needs to work is so they can all take care of the poor. And you say, well, how can there be poor if everyone's working? They're still poor if there's if people are working. His point is everybody needs to, everybody needs to work so that if someone around them is in need, and we'll get to this in a little bit when he deals with charity, 
If someone around them is in need, you have the ability to step in and help. Again, reason why everyone should work, he, he states, is because the church, part of being a part of the church is helping people out. Yes, but we're getting back to charity later, so. Right. Uh, yeah, let me, okay. Yeah, he deals with charity as a whole standalone chapter, but in this, he kind of, he deals with it in specific. So he says, reason why everyone should work is they're supposed to help with the poor. Two, we're to give more than we can spare. It's not just like, oh, I got a whole bunch extra and I'm going to give up what kind, you know, I'm going to give up enough to where I don't feel uncomfortable. I'll be honest, I'm not even, I'm fairly generous. My wife and I are pretty fairly generous, but we're not even doing that. So that was kind of like, uh, felt my ears getting a little red when I was reading that. And then, um, yeah, I mean, like, and then he also, he's pointedly says, when I'm talking about this, I am not saying give to charity. You give to charity and you also give to friends and family and neighbors that are also in trouble. This is not just like giving a hundred dollars to what you know an organization an organization I give money to when I grew up or the United Way or whatever. This is not that. This is even beyond that. That is having money or giving something that's just sitting around your house that you really don't have any need of to and being really it's just being <laughs> aware which is another thing i am terrible at i don't really know my neighbors very well i don't live in a neighborhood where i know my neighbors well enough and i'm not saying that because it's the neighbor i'm not blaming the neighborhood listen to me i'm blaming myself i've not gone out of my way to go meet my neighbors I know my immediate next door neighbor to the west of me, and I know the immediate neighbor to the uh, east of me, and I know the one across the street, but I only know the guy across the street because we used to go to church together, and I know his daughter. So I have not gone out of my way to meet all my neighbors. Now, I will say, in my defense, there was an incident where we had an incident a couple years ago where somebody ran into a telephone pole blew out the transformer and knocked out power for basically like a square mile. Yeah. All the houses around here lost their power. And at some point, this is still up for debate between us homeowners and the power company. There was a power surge and it destroyed televisions, appliances, garage door openers. Pretty much everybody lost their garage door opener. They lost their hot water heater. You say, how, how could you use your hot water heater? We use these tankless hot water heaters. So there's there are fuses within the hot water heaters. All those fuses went out. And one guy down the street, around the corner, came out. We were all standing around trying to you know find out what's going on and kind of crowdsourcing information said, I've figured out what the fuse is. Well, I figured out what the hot water heater is. It's a fuse and showed us what the fuse was and my next door neighbor and i went one of us went to lowe's and the other one went to home depot and we bought literally every every single fuse we could buy came back and just went around and handed them out so that's my closest to being a good neighbor but i mean it's not that it's not nothing in the united states i mean we don't go without hot water so <laughs> but uh, that was actually the uh, persecution that uh, Jesus was talking about that we would experience. Um, <laughs> that is the fortitude that we need um, is to endure these hard times when hot water goes out um, for us. So uh, we were praying for you um, in that dark time of your life. <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> He says, so he's making it clear this is this is still, this isn't just writing a check to charity. No. Or no. even what I think a lot of us do, which is we tithe our 10% to the church. And we're like, well, I know the church does stuff with charity, so that's my charity. That doesn't count either. I still also think, and I mean, like, Tim's pretty good. Uh, we've had this conversation a couple times about monetary um, stuff. Uh, and tithing and understanding what it is that you're supposed to give. I'm still also a big advocate for saying that there is also not only just your money and also understand that, but I also believe that there is something to be said about your time. Oh, your, your time and your talent. If you're, if you are someone, if you're a guy and you're good around the house, 
Right. Dean, your your talent is uh your I talent like is goes... being aware of uh women of older, particularly older women in your church or in your neighborhood and being like I feel like that goes so much farther than just giving your money, right? Sure. Like if you're like, hey, my hot water heater went out or something else broke in my house. Can Rather than them having to hire a plumber or something, you just right. go fix it. Right. And I love one of those guys. Uh, there's a couple of guys that I've seen uh, that post videos where they just – they are really good at yard work. And they go up to people that have these overgrown, completely obliterated yards. Again, this is a – american thing where we believe in lawn care (laughs) um but they walk up and believe it or not there is a sort of class symbol that is associated or a class status that is associated with keeping up keeping a well-maintained yard and those types of things and these guys go and they knock on the door and say hey um i do this for free um or i do this as a job but on Saturdays, I dedicate my time to come out and go find people that have something uh, for whatever reason, whatever's going on with them, and, and I come and I clean the whole thing up for you uh, for free. So they give up their Saturday and they do that whole thing. I That is amazing. Yeah. I don't think that that, like, if you're sitting there and you're like, but I don't tie it to my church on Sunday mornings, I'd be like, I don't give two shits if you don't. Like, what you just did right there was phenomenal. Well, we do. We prefer you did. they got to <laughs> put their lights on. We've talked about that. You know, the, the pageant that gets put on every Sunday does cost money, but yes. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, I mean, like, that's, that's where it's Out like, of the two, if you're donating a lot of your time and even some money to help people out. That's frankly more important in the kingdom than it is giving ten percent, just writing a check blindly and never thinking about it to the church. For right. Sure. The hard, the hard part about so again to revisit the whole like tithing aspect, which we've talked about before, is if you are getting something out of your church. So that means if you are enjoying the music, if you are enjoying the service, if you like that they have microphones, if you like whatever, which we've talked about then yes, you need to be tithing. Um, As in you are basically purchasing that service. I know that seems weird for a lot of people to wrap their heads around, um, but that is what you are doing when you are tithing. As you are sitting there and saying that this is a priority for me, this is something that I enjoy, because otherwise you were just, (laughs) I mean, I hate to say it, but you're literally a leech. Yeah. (laughs) You are somebody that's sitting there and you're just like, I just want to enjoy all of these things that I enjoy and I'm just going to take them in for myself. Um, And that's just not really a kingdom mindset, right? Like that's not something that we do. And so we say, okay, we're going to give our 10% to sit there and say, hey, I'm paying for this, uh, this product that is being presented to me. Also, you need to not – but the hard part is you need to also trust the professionals. That's right. also another thing. Don't sit there and say, well, I'm paying for this product and so therefore I should have to say Yeah, it. yeah. You're not um, – No, you are paying people to do their job. That's just old. That's like uh, John Adams who gets his own uh, box – his own set of uh, – his own uh, assigned box seat at the Congregational Church in Massachusetts. Right. So uh, you still don't have a say in it. Well, right. I mean, like you do, like you can become a member and, and those types of things and you can become an advocate and those, that's good. Become an advocate, not a... a hostage um, taker. Yeah, hostage taker. Just be like, And, you know, this. I will say this. We've been negative about the previous church we were at. The one one thing I will say about the, that church was the top, the people who gave the most in money also gave the most in their time it wasn't just like writing checks yeah. and then like i'm gonna show up like and just be a church no nope. those people were also helping out with whatever ministry based on what their age was they yeah. were there fixing facilities on the side they were helping out with youth helping out with college group helping out on sundays just being ushers being in the choir of whatever was needed they're also donating time and their talent. And and so, again, as much as, you know, we kind of complained about the previous church, where we you and I did differ was when there were decisions that needed to be made. It's made sometimes people come in and would kind of threaten to pull checks because decisions weren't being made in their 
the way they wanted to. That's not the way we handle it. But they they gave both sweat equity and actual money to that church and lived everything out through it. So sweat kitty. <laughs> sweat kitty. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Show voiceovers courtesy of Eleven Labs. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Post your comments, questions, criticisms, or an invitation to Hades on Twitter at the Go to Hell Pod and Instagram at Go to Hell Pod. Email us at Tim at GoToHellPodcast.com or Colton at GoToHellPodcast.com. If you think mere Christianity is boring, you can go to hell. <laughs>